Welcome to another episode of the Behold Your God podcast. I'm Matthew Robinson, Director of Media Gratier, and I'm here again with Dr. John Snyder for part three of a four-part series where we're looking at um, some help from Thomas Charles on the subjects of pride and humility. Um, we're taking these from a book that he wrote. You can, you can read these in Thomas Charles' Spiritual Councils, which is, I suppose, collected um, you know, essays and letters and that sort of thing that Edward Morgan put together in the Banner of Truth Trust publishes. We also have a copy of these letters uh, that you can read at our blog. So, John, remind us who Thomas Charles is. Charles is really the, the leader, organizer, theological thinker and author of the uh, Welsh side of the of the evangelical revival at the late part of the 18th century into the 19th century, which was, um, it, it was kind of the period where they consolidated the gains of 50 years of extraordinary work of the gospel uh, under the blessing of the Lord during the days of George Whitfield, men like Hal Harris and William Williams and Daniel Rowland. Um, those men have passed away. The baton is passed to a young man, Thomas Charles, and he helps guide that denomination theologically, really from Anglicanism into um, what became a, a Presbyterian approach and help them take the Westminster Confession and uh, adapt it to their present needs and, you know, and, and to set them in a, in a pretty clear path, which lasted uh, for about a century in a, in a healthy way. So initially, as a group, these men were known as the Welsh Calvinistic Methodist right. Fathers. And if you're unfamiliar with that, and you haven't listened to the uh, first couple of podcasts, so we would invite you to go back and listen to parts one and two of this series where we've talked about uh, spiritual pride. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about humility. Uh, Thomas Charles opens his letter with 1 Corinthians 4-7, specifically the part that asks, What do you have that you did not receive. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Charles opens the letter in a way that perhaps we wouldn't have expected. He starts off by talking about all the works of God uh, reflect balance. They reflect proportion and beauty. He talks about nature and he talks about the human body. Think about how the human body grows. A healthy human body, the growth is proportioned. It all grows kind of at the same rate. So there's balance there, there's beauty, each part growing together. And that's the same in the spiritual man. All the graces of Christ, all that work that God has begun in regeneration, and all the, that the Holy Spirit is cultivating in us, the fruit of the Spirit, all those qualities of Christ-likeness ought to be increasing, you know, in, in some measure, in proportion or in balance together. And when there is a lack of that, when one grace seems to really be moving forward, I'm really strong here, but other things just seem to be left behind, almost not even cared about. So you're having something growing in isolation to others. Charles says, be careful. That isn't a mark of the work of the Spirit. Yeah, one place where that shows up that I think we and other perhaps in our audience should be particularly aware of is the grace of knowledge. Um, you know, as we grow in our understanding of the things of God, we call that theology, which is a true work of the Spirit. If, it's, if we're genuinely coming to understand more and more of who God is as, it's re as He's revealed in His Word and how He works, 
um, that should be growing proportionately with love and joy and peace and repentance and faith and humility. And um, sadly, we can look back at times in our own lives and, and we can think of others where we've seen examples of where um, uh, gro growth in knowledge far outpaces our growth in, say, humility toward one another. Yeah, and another example that Charles gives is the, the um, growth in our vertical relationships and our horizontal relationships. So things that we tend to think of as qualities in the Christian life that are, that are more directly aimed at God, yeah. devotion, love, consecration, uh, these cannot be growing in a healthy way if they're not also producing, uh, you know, uh, a proportionate, balanced growth in the areas of how we deal with other people. So um, love, tenderness, forgiveness, sacrificial service, you know, gentleness, humility. So when we see those, a man claim that he has these vertical virtues growing, but we don't see the accompanying uh, external things, then we know that something's not right. Right. It's not the work of the Spirit when we see unbalanced growth. And there are a lot of places we've talked about it as an introduction, but the one that we really want to drill down on is the one that Thomas Charles helps us with, which is humility. Uh, for example, when we say we're humble before God, but we're proud in the way that we respond to the people around us, that's a fairly sure sign that um, that's a, a work of the flesh. So let me go here to the first quote from this, uh, this treatise on humility. If we're thoroughly sensible that we have nothing but what we daily receive, our conduct towards those from whom God by superior gifts hath distinguished us will be suitable to this sense of our poverty. It is in vain to pretend that we are duly humbled before God and that we're sensible of our poverty if our conduct toward man is proud and assuming. And this is a good test for us. He goes on to write, This is the subject to be now particularly handled. That is, the true humility and a genuine sense of our poverty before God will effectually influence our conduct toward all our fellow creatures, and that the one, as it is the effect of the other, so it proves its truth and reality. So in other words, does the, the awareness of our ability and our spiritual strengths produce gratitude toward God? Yeah, that leads to a, a very simple test that he gives in, in the following paragraph. Let me read that. He says, If we truly believe that we do receive everything from God, we cannot glory as if we did not receive it. That's, that's simple logic. But then he goes on and presses the Christian. Do you believe this? Then we cannot glory against those who have it not, but our conduct toward them will be full of modesty and humility, pity and compassion. Are we eminently distinguished by gifts, useful and ornamental? That would be an, probably the old way of saying not only are, has God used us, but it's in a way that's pretty visible. Are those gifts and our labors abundantly blessed? All of these are from God, but do we believe this? If so, we shall not despise those who have them not, but we shall with all humility and industry employ them for the glory of God and for the good of others. So very simple tests. If we are in the grips of a reality that God has given us gifts that are both useful and visible to other people, then it ought to produce a real humility 
uh, a real compassion, gentleness toward our brothers and sisters, but also the twin desire to exercise that gift in service in a way that brings honor to God and does good to our brothers and sisters who may not have the same gifts as we have. Well, Thomas Charles' letter is, is very helpful. He breaks it down into three areas, three headings. And we'll get to the first and maybe second today. Um, pride and humility, his first heading, think differently. Pride thinks less of others and humility thinks less of self. So here's a quote from his, his first point. Pride is apt to think ill of others but humility leads a man to think ill of himself. When pride is observing the defects of others, their coldness and deadness, their ignorance and weakness, and is ready to condemn them without mercy, humility has work enough at home, is most jealous of itself, and most suspicious of the deceit of heart which it occupies. Yeah, so pride makes a man uh, prone to see um, the flaws of others and to exaggerate his own strengths. Humility makes a man prone to see the good in others and to see his own flaws. And even at sometimes the enemy uses that and, and a man may become kind of preoccupied with his own flaws in a way that, you know, paralyzes if he's not careful, if he doesn't take that back to the mercy seat and lay it before the Lord. But he points out that at times when we're called to rebuke another Christian, the humble man finds it a costly activity and he does it with as much love and humility as possible, you know, gentleness. And he gives the example of Jesus Christ, first of all. On the final night of his life before his crucifixion, he goes into Gethsemane and he takes the three men with him to pray. Uh, and Peter, James, and John are there and they fall asleep. And he goes back to them and there's a rebuke. Could you not watch with me one hour? But there's also a, a, a pity, a compassion, because he immediately explains that he understands the struggle that they're feeling when he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in that statement, we find the gentleness of Christ restoring three men that he's just had to rebuke and, and point out that, that they have really misunderstood the significance of this situation. Yeah, we see something of the compassion of Christ there too in His humanity. Um, although He never uh, sinned, he, he did know what it was to have uh, a tired, weak flesh. It's so, so amazing to think about. Uh, Charles' second point is that pride and humility talk differently. So pride is severe. Humility is compassionate with our words. Pride is, is contemptuous, whereas humility is loving. Uh, Charles writes, Pride speaks of the sins of others, the enmity of some, the formality of others, and the delusions of the third, and speaks of them with bitterness and contempt, and it may be with ridicule. But humility speaks, if it must speak at all, with compassion and godly sorrow, and with fervent prayer for them, well knowing that if there be any difference between him and the vilest sinner on earth, it was grace that made it. So really clear picture of how humility shows from Christian to Christian. What he goes on to say next is something that I find um, very helpful because I, have, I don't know that I've ever heard it directly mentioned. And that's 
where he deals with how humility will be shown when the Christian refers to the way the world treats the church. And this, of course, is a thing that in our culture, um, with, um, with the media, um, all, the, all the personal media and you know, radio or television as well, um, it's very easy for a Christian to, to not be careful when we feel stung by the world's criticisms or mistreated. And maybe it's a legitimate persecution, you know, but how we respond shows whether deep within we're proud or humble. So listen to what he says. In speaking of the enmity, opposition, and persecution of the world, spiritual pride is apt to enlarge a little, to speak often, and dwell much on the subject in a revengeful and contemptuous spirit, reviling again. So there's, there's one clear statement. When I'm a proud man and the world speaks against Christianity or the world overlooks my you know, abilities at work and someone who's, uh, who's not a Christian is promoted ahead of me, and I know it's because I'm a Christian, I, I really make a bigger deal of that than it is. And I talk about it a lot and I dwell on it. You know, so it's almost like you, you, know, you see old Joe come and you think, oh, it's going to be the same thing. He's beating the same drum. How Christians are so persecuted. Part of that can be from pride, he says. But true humility is the spirit of Christ, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself to him who judgeth righteously. He conquered enmity with love, pride with humility, persecution with prayer, and all contemptuous treatment with, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was the meekness of the lamb, and not the rage of the lion that triumphed over all the rage and malice of men and devils. Yeah, and you know, that's not to downplay the fact that, Christ, that Christian persecution in our culture is, is a thing, and it is, it tends to, it is growing, um, but actual persecution, physical persecution, is not at all foreign to Christian history or even Christian present in some parts of the world. And he mentions the time in the early church where, where real uh, killing type of persecution was going on. And he says, the apostles of the Lamb fought also with the same weapons. And then quoting, being reviled, we bless, saith Paul. Being defamed, we entreat. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Intent on their master's business, they passed by unnoticed the injurious treatment they met with. Yeah, what a statement. What a statement. Well, I mean, what a God-honoring thing it would be if in the 21st century that could be written above Western evangelicals as the culture is shifting and we are experiencing um, an antagonism that hasn't been there in our lifetime before. And certainly we, we feel that there are some social issues which are custom designed to bring Christianity into great disfavor with the culture. And so what if the Lord in the history of the church himself writes over our page, they overlooked the injurious treatment they were given, you know, as they brought the gospel to their culture, which became increasingly uh, antagonistic. You know, but we, I think that from that statement, you know, we would have to say there's a lot of pride in us and a lot of opportunity for us to, you know, to go to the Lord and ask him to make us more like him, uh, less like, you know, uh, maybe conservative culture at times. But how can we even afford to do that? How can, how can we 
pass by our persecution and not defend ourselves? Yeah, that's a great question. Not only do we have the pattern of Christ in his own meekness, trusting himself to the Father who judges righteously, but you say, well, but I'm not Christ. That, of course, is not a legitimate excuse. We've been called to follow him as a true man, dependent on the Lord. So we can take that pattern, but there, it's not just Christ. Think of Moses, the meekest man on earth, and how he could afford to bear patiently with those that were attacking him. He writes about Moses, When Aaron and Miriam, stirred up by envy, opposed Moses, the servant of God, it is particularly observed of him at that time that he was, the, he, that he was meek above all men on the face of the earth. Doubtless, because he then gave an eminent proof of his meekness, and God has eminently appeared in his vindication. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful pattern. The man that can humbly respond to his attackers can expect that God himself will rise up and answer his cause. Um, you know, when we think about giving or receiving uh, criticism, Thomas Charles points out that Humility combined with a godly zeal, zeal won't remain silent when, when he sees, you know, sin that's endangering God's honor or endangering a brother or sister. But it, it will be spoken in a way that is humble. And it's the sinful behavior that is the source of displeasure, not a personal, you know, antagonism that develops toward a person. But he mentions receiving criticism. The humble man will receive criticism. And, and you and I have talked about this. I mean, we've both received criticism. Sometimes we've both received criticism from the same person. Oftentimes when we receive criticism, the person who's criticizing us, um, what they think they're seeing isn't really what's happening. And so in a sense, they've kind of missed the mark. And then pride rises up and says within my heart, they don't even know what they're talking about. I don't have to listen to anything that they said. But it's a much healthier pattern to say, okay, so they missed the mark. They didn't quite, what they thought they were seeing wasn't exactly what was happening. But they, there was something that's bothering them. And it would do my soul good to stop and say to the Lord, is there something there? That, okay, they don't see it as clearly as they think they do, but it's there and I see it. And it's a good opportunity for me to deal with it, even though they didn't say it perfectly. You know, a humble man to receive any criticism, it's almost as if you have to say it perfectly. Uh, sorry, a proud man to receive any criticism, you think, I'll have to say it perfectly. But a humble man can hear it imperfectly and say, well, it didn't help to hear it imperfectly, but I am willing to you know, humble myself. A proud man hears criticism, thinks it's everyone else's fault, looks within himself, sees the the gifts and graces God has given him, they're, they're, they're true. Feeling that they weren't gifts, but something he worked up, in the midst of criticism, he just becomes even more proud. One of the things that we love about going to conferences is being able to interact with people who have gone through the studies that we produce or seen the films that we make and hearing feedback from them about how those projects have impacted their families, their small groups, and their churches. Eventually, we started asking them if we could record their stories so that we could share those with you. 
Nolan and Melissa are from Mississippi, and their church went through Behold Your God, Rethinking God Biblically. I mean, we took, we were fortunate enough to take some families through it with us along that journey. And like we had talked about earlier, it, it is an investment of time. And it was 12 week study, but to watch not only other families, how it just transformed other families and watched out, watched how God through the spirit of through his spirit just transform and knock down these idols that they had built up in their life and the God that they thought they worshiped of the Bible was different once they came out of this study um, they found themselves worshiping the, the, the one true God um, and just the theology and the doctrine and watching it change these people's lives was uh, something I don't think we'll ever forget then to see them use it with their children and then them loan it out to other people and, and how it multiplied, people being blessed through it, it was just amazing. So to summarize, in the first two points of Thomas Charles' essay on humility is that pride and humility think differently and pride and humility speak differently. Right, and we're not approaching this from the outside in saying, hey, you want, to be a, you want to be a humble person? Let me give you six things you need to start doing on the outside. You know, it's like if you don't want to be an angry person, count to 10 before you respond. Well, that might be a good thing to do, um, but really anger is a deeper issue than that. So when we say thinking differently and especially speaking differently, a man can adjust his words and still be proud. And he can become very proud over the fact that he's really doing good, doing well adjusting his words. So... What Charles is really trying to drive home is the gracious nature of our relationship with God. That is, it, God in the purest form of undeserved friendship and love is giving and giving to his people. And when we see that and we are in the grip of that reality, it changes the way I think about me. It changes the way I think about my brother who doesn't necessarily have the same knowledge or gifts that I have. And so it's going to change the way that I, I talk. Thanks for listening to the Behold Your God podcast. All the scripture passages and resources we mentioned in the podcast are available in this week's show notes at mediagratiae.org slash podcast. That's M-E-D-I-A-G-R-A-T-I-A-E dot O-R-G. You can also get there by going to themeansofgrace.org. You can watch the podcast there through our YouTube channel or subscribe via iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcast feed. The Behold Your God podcast is a production of Media Gratia. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible study series, documentaries, and other multimedia projects that we produce, let me invite you to have a look around for materials that you can use in your church, small groups, Sunday schools, or family worship at MediaGratia.org. If you're one of our monthly supporters, jump over to MediaGratia.org where you'll find the link to this week's supporter appreciation episode. This is weekly bonus content that we produce as just one tangible way to say thank you to those of you who believe in what we do and come alongside of us monthly to help us continue doing it. If you're interested in becoming one of our supporters, whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly commitment of any amount, visit mediagratier.org and click on the donate button. Once you've done that, we'll get in touch and we'll give you access to our whole library of supporter appreciation material just shortly after. 
As with everything that we do, we never want finances to be a legitimate barrier between our content and those who would benefit from it. If that's you, reach out to us at info at mediagratier.org. We'd love to hear your feedback there on this episode, questions, comments, or any other subject that might be on your mind. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.